Hello, and welcome to Teacher Tales, a podcast from the spirit of teaching. This is your host, Linda Markley, and I invite you to join me and my guests as we get curious, explore, discover, and learn more about what is really at the heart of teaching. In each episode, we will hear the story of a teacher, what called them to teach, what are their greatest joys and challenges in teaching, what inspires them, and what are their hopes, dreams, and vision for the education of children. We will learn more about the greatest lessons they have taught and also the greatest lessons they have learned. No checklists, no standards, no reports, no paperwork, and no data. Just stories from their hearts to our hearts on a journey to celebrate what really matters in the true spirit of teaching. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Teacher Tales. Today, my guest is Kristen, and she's coming all the way from Colorado, Rocky Mountain High. So hi, <laughs> Kristen, hi. and tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, um, nice, to be, nice to be here with you today, Linda. Thanks for having me. Um, as you said, I'm in Colorado. I'm in Colorado Springs, and it snowed this morning, was 22 degrees, almost like a four-degree wind chill, I think, this morning on April 20th. So winter is still here in the mountains, but it's beautiful. Um, I am a teacher. I taught Spanish for about 20 years. I've also taught abroad in four different countries, so I've done some English as a foreign language teaching. Um, currently, I'm an instructional coach, so I work directly with teachers now on um, proficiency-based training and um, that kind of um, that kind of topics. You know, proficiency-based teaching and just best practices in the language classroom right now. Yeah. Okay, that's good. You're going to have a very broad perspective to bring to everyone. Um, so, tell us a little bit about why you became a teacher. Um, honestly, uh, <laughs> cute boys in Mexico is why I became a teacher just to, to start with. Right. Um, I was lucky enough to go on a trip in high school with, um, Senorita Holter. Um, some of you may know her, Jan Holter Kiddock. Um, and she, she was my high school teacher and we got I to go did to not school. know that. Yeah. I know Jan. And yeah. Hi Jan. <laughs> <laughs> so when we were abroad, I met some really cute boys and it really motivated, motivated me to want to learn more Spanish. So I kept studying Spanish. Um, when I went to college, I thought I would be an athletic trainer and I was going to get a Spanish minor so I could be the first female athletic trainer for a soccer team in Mexico. And um, that only lasted a semester because I wanted to go study abroad in Mexico and I couldn't miss a semester out of the athletic training program. So then I switched my major to social work in Spanish and I thought I'd work with cute little old Spanish speaking people. And that lasted about another semester. And then I went into international relations in Spanish and then I didn't know and I just kept taking Spanish classes and Spanish classes. And eventually I thought, you know what? I must really like Spanish. I should figure out something to do with Spanish because that was the only thing I stuck with. And um, I decided to become a teacher. And I told my parents and my mom said, you know, I always knew you would be a teacher. I was like, well, why didn't you tell me that three years ago, mom? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that is how I got into the teacher track, actually. It was through my love of Spanish um, that brought me to teaching because I wanted to share um, the joy Spanish brought me with other people. You know, 
but you bring up a lot of good points as far as the, all those connections. I mean, you started with the really cute boys, but that's a real world application. Yeah, so right. That out there, lots of reasons to take Spanish. Those cute boys or the cute girls, right? Got to be able to communicate, um, and you can't always expect they're going to know English. But you you brought up other connections for Spanish as well, international business, and you know there are a lot of things you can do with languages, not just meet cute boys or become a Spanish teacher. And I think that's probably what lent itself to you then going and teaching in other countries too, is to, because you had the English teaching skills that you could transfer over or the Spanish teaching skills tra transfer over to the English and everything. So, yeah. so you taught in Colorado and you left teaching in Colorado. Do you want to talk mm -hmm. about I actually started my teaching in Texas. So I'm from Minnesota originally, and I moved to Texas after college because uh, Minnesota was too cold. And I thought anybody who lived there voluntarily was crazy. So I moved to Texas where it was a little bit warmer and much closer to Mexico. Um, and I taught there for seven years. And then I moved back to Minnesota um, and taught at a private school in Minneapolis for two years. And then I ended up in Colorado where I taught the last... 10 years on my teaching career, I think, um, and really enjoyed it. The schools I taught at were mostly middle-class, upper-middle-class suburban high schools. Um, all of them were fairly new or if not brand new school buildings. So they had the best of all the technology. You know, they were beautiful buildings, had all of the equipment and bells and whistles that you would need to teach with. So I was very fortunate as a teacher to have pretty much my entire teaching career in those types of situations. Um, but as you uh, had mentioned, I did end up teaching abroad various times throughout my career, not just at the end of it, but actually at the very beginning of it, in the middle of it, and at the end of it. And it was eye-opening to go from these brand new, beautiful school buildings in the States to some of the teaching conditions I um, was at abroad. And that really opened my eyes to just what education really is at its heart, that it doesn't need the bells and whistles to, to make it a good class. You don't need those to be a good teacher. You know, teachers are passionate people, whether they have a lot of resources or whether they're, they have a piece of chalk and a blackboard. Teachers usually are teachers because they love their students, they love what they're teaching about, and they want to make a change in people's lives. And that can happen in any type of situation. I saw it happen in Mexico, in Colombia, in Albania, and in India. Um, very different from Texas, Minnesota, and Colorado. Wow. That's, that is quite a variety. That's, a, that's quite a resume that you have to show for all that uh, teaching in such diverse cultures and different parts of the world and everything. What, what did you notice to be like the biggest challenge besides resources in and language maybe in you know some of the different countries um i think going in to these other countries with my american teaching mentality and going into their system um was a challenge because i had a preset notion in my head of what education should look like how language teaching should be and language teaching in the U.S. is very different than how they do it in other countries. And, you know, I tr 
honestly, I probably wasn't super effective at first, especially when like in Columbia, I was a Fulbright exchange teacher. So there was an educational component to the exchange as well as professional development uh, for the teachers as well. And, you know, when you go into a system and you try to impose your better ways, um, it doesn't always make a positive change. You know, I realized I had to take a step back, understand their ways, appreciate how they do things in their system before I could even implement any kind of change, um, you know, if I wanted to. I had to really, oh, I don't know, kind of like give up, not what I believed in, because I still taught the way I thought, you know, was best for my students, but I had to adapt it to fit into their system. I couldn't bring my system and make them change, you know, to, to the American way and think, well, the America, the way we do it is better. So you should do it this way too. I need to look and see what was good in their system and really work off of that. Does that make sense? Can you give us an example maybe? Yeah. Um, so in quite a few of the schools that I was in, um, there was a very traditional like heavy grammar focus on teaching. And as you know, here in the States, we're trying to promote teaching grammar in context and not just rote grammar rules and practice in isolation. And, you know, I would go in and observe teachers and say, oh, no, 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 you should do it this way. You know, this um, teaching your grammar rules is not going to be effective. And they're like, well, it has worked for us because my students do speak English and granted their students spoke English better than my students speak Spanish. <laughs> um, so it was more of a, you know, having to have a dialogue and talk about why, why they were doing it the way they were doing it, how it benefited the students and getting them to just think through the whys and the end results and then sharing best practices saying, you know, well, here's a little idea you could try. And they would say, well, here's a little idea you can try. And so it was more of a sharing of ideas as opposed to me trying to impose my ideas. That makes sense. That's a good example. But also I think my experience has been in, in other countries that English is so prevalent everywhere. And if they have any sort of technology, which, I mean, I've been down in, you know, the jungles of Peru and come across indigenous women that were selling their wares and you think they're out in the middle of nowhere. And next thing you turn your back and they're pulling their cell phone out from under their, their you know, artisanry work that they're selling. So everybody seems to have access to that. And if they do, that's how a lot of kids learn English in other countries is watching YouTube videos and TikTok videos and who knows what else. Um, and I don't think our kids really have access to that unless they're in a language class. But I think it's pretty, I mean, would you agree that it's probably a more, there's more access to stuff like that in English and other countries than? Yeah, I mean, a lot, you know, the music and Hollywood and movies are oh. you know, in English. You know, if our students wanted you know, there are plenty of Spanish speaking TV channels that they can watch. There are plenty of Spanish songs, you know, that they could have access to with that same technology that the mm -hmm. lady in the jungle in Peru has access mm -hmm. to. Um, 
I think it's motivation. Our students aren't motivated to <laughs> learn Spanish like the other students are motivated to learn English because because everybody speaks English, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What do you think it takes to motivate kids to learn? Cute boys in Mexico? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it has to be, okay, maybe not the cute boys in Mexico, but it has to be some in, some internal desires, some connection that the student sees as going to benefit them somehow, right? They have to see how it's going to affect their life positive, positively um, by speaking another language, whether that's they're going to be able to get the job that they want. And so they're motivated by that, whether it's they're going to be able to talk to family members that they have. I know I'm trying to work on my French because my great grandparents came from France and we still have relatives there. And that, that's what's motivating me to learn French is so that when I eventually get there to visit them, I can speak to them in some kind of French, even though they speak English just fine. Um, I think there has to we have to make that connection for our students to, so that they see that learning a language isn't just a class in high school. It's something that's really, truly going to enrich their lives if they put a little effort into it and help them make those connections and see, well, what, how, if you study Spanish, how is this going to affect your life? And trying to help them see, well, you know, what kind of job do you want to do? Well, this is how this might help in a job or what kind of, you know, um, vacation type even uh, opportunities do you want to have and how that can enrich their their vacation time or whatever real world and personal connection Mm -hmm. and I think that's across all the content areas if kids can see the real world application of physics like studying roller coasters at Disney World or you know Universal or you know real world application of math in you know coding or building something and using angles and degrees and stuff like that that they really buy into that and they, they find it meaningful. And mm-hmm. um, teachers that f- teach so that kids have an opportunity to find meaning and personal and real world connections, I think that makes the biggest difference um, for them. So what, what advice would you give to new teachers coming into the profession now? Um, like what, what experiences and expertise have you gained over especially such a broad um, experience across many countries and um, languages too. So what, what advice would you give? And not just for languages, just new teachers in general. Like how do you, how do they, how should, how do they manage the system? You know, I think first of all, they need to find a mentor, find someone who's, who that inspires them and that they can go to with questions and get advice from. Um, because having that sounding board is really important as a new teacher. Um, and that could even be, you know, not a live person, uh, not like an in-person person. It could be someone virtual, right? But just someone that they can go to for those first year type questions. And also to get connected. I think what really changed my teaching was getting connected with my state organization, going to conferences, networking and meeting other teachers who were excited and passionate about always trying to do the best learning, you know, always learning and not 
just doing what I've always done because that's what I've always done, but hearing about new research and how to implement it and then trying it out in the classroom. Um, a lot of times new teachers have a lot of excitement and they go into their classroom or into their school and they might find their school is a more traditional type school and they're not um, so open to new teaching ideas maybe. And so that new teacher really need that's when that teacher needs a mentor to talk to and help, you know, stay the course. Um, Keep the flames going instead yeah, of right? you know, the person that's there with the fire hose to put it out. Yeah, exactly. Um, I know another thing, which is um, the complete opposite into the spectrum is being able to turn off school. Also, I know for me as a teacher, I wasn't able, ever able to turn it off. You know, I was up at school at six o'clock in the morning. I was there till four or five at night and then went home and kept working on finding those perfect authentic resources and creating the greatest IPA with the most authentic tasks that I could and creating rubrics and doing all that work. I could just never turn off teaching. And I think it's important for new teachers to be passionate and give everything they have in the classroom, but also know when to say when and um, not let it take over their lives. Because with teaching, it's very easy to let let it take over your life. <laughs> it is because, I mean, for an elementary school teacher, they end up living 20 to 25 lives every day. And in high school, we're talking, you know, 150 to 200 lives every day. That is something that the outside world, or, you know, I'm going to call it that, anyone who's not a teacher, but even people who, who, come from families of teachers who or who are married to teachers or whatever still don't really fathom what that's like to not be able to turn it off and to come home and bring those lives with you and you see on, on social media all the time where teachers are like they'll always be my kids you know kids air quotes they're they'll they're always my kids and so that's something that's underestimated, except for when the pandemic started and the teachers were heroes because everybody then realized they're the glue that holds society together. They're the connections with the relationships. They're the ones that are living and helping those kids live their lives every single day. And yeah, and so it, it, it was short-lived but I think people need to be reminded of it. And that's part of the reason for the podcast mm -hmm. and teachers sharing their stories. Do you have a favorite story about a student that you, um, that you can remember or like uh, something that happened that, that you just won't ever forget that left an impression on you? Oh gosh, that's a great question. I don't know if I have any specific stories you know you ask about you know a specific one specific story and all of a sudden I have all these images of all these students popping up in my head they've made yes. all these little impacts in different ways and I could see them all you know and yeah and when and you're out in public now and you see like this happens to me I'll see young people and I mean I'm old now and I the kids that I taught probably have you know or adults and have kids themselves they do but I'll see them and I'll I'll see a person a young person I'll be like oh 
that so-and-so, that's so-and-so. And I've told this story on the podcast before where I was in Washington, D.C. and visiting with my legislator and he wanted to talk Spanish to me. And I, I said, no, no, I want to go over and talk to my student over there. And he was like, what are you talking about? Apollo Ono was your student. It was Apollo Ono. I, I, it was a rock star to me. It was my, I thought it was my student, but it was actually Apollo Ono. <laughs> so you're right. Those impressions are there. You, they flood through all the time. So. And, you, and you don't know that, you know, I think as a teacher, one of the most impactful things is 10 years later when they find you on Facebook and they send you that message saying, you know, I may not have seemed interested in your class at the time, and, but you'll never believe that I'm still speaking Spanish today and I'm working with this organization or I'm doing this or, you know, because of that one thing you did in class, you know, it's affected my life X, Y, or Z, Y. And it's, you know, those things that really affect me as a teacher and that really um, make me want to keep making that difference is, you know, I was in the Peace Corps a few years ago, and they talk about planting the seeds of a tree that you'll never sit in the shade of. Oh. And that's very true with teaching as well. You're planting seeds, and they're growing, 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 growing. And you may never know how that tree ends up blossoming, right? Mm -hmm. um, whether they find you on Facebook or not, you have touched their lives somehow. And I think that's, you know, for me, what teaching was all about. Mm -hmm. is all about yeah I mean my daughter I told you teaches fourth grade and she had uh, a kid reach out to her the other day that said you know what's up you know I, I just want to let you know I graduated from high school and I went on to college I bet you didn't think that would happen when you had me for two years in a row <laughs> <laughs> because she didn't he didn't quite make it you know and had to do two years with her but it was the <laughs> best thing for him and uh and you know that that's the impact. Like I said, lives, we take those kids' lives with us because we, they become part of us and we become part of them. All of my, most all of my friends on Facebook are my former students, you know, so <laughs> um, it, it really, it really does make a difference and everything. So what is your greatest hope for all children? What would you say you would want for all children? And I'm, and I'm sure you probably have a pretty deep perspective on that, teaching children in the United States and teaching children in other countries. And uh, for me, I realized that they're all kids. And like mm -hmm. you said, learning is learning and their needs are their needs. They're human. You know, I, I, my greatest hope, I think, for children is that they all have the opportunity to have a life that makes them happy, that they can follow a passion that they have or just something that fulfills them or that makes their life a little bit better. Um, whether that's going to college, whether that's going to a trade school, whether that's running their parents' mark stand at the market, right? If that's what makes them happy, I want them to have that opportunity to do that. Um, you know, whether they're a boy or a girl, whether they're, you know, in the upper class at a private school in a foreign country or, sitting three to a desk in a private in a public school in you know a country that doesn't have the opportunities that a lot of our schools here in the states do i want you know all those kids just to be able to have a life that makes them happy somehow mm -hmm. yeah and education education can is, help is the key yeah it really is and they're just so appreciative 
of you know every little thing that they have and that they learn and so when I was when I was in Colombia on that Fulbright teacher exchange my mom came to visit me for a week and um she I was teaching at a public school in the south part of Bogota which is a poorer part of town and my mom went to class with me one day and it was a very eye-opening for her. Um, she had never been in a community like that before. Um, and when she got into the school, you know, everybody was looking at her like, wow, you know, who is this, this American woman at our school? And um, she was just amazed at how happy and friendly these kids were. She's like, you know, I saw the community. She had some preconceived notions about what life in that community would be like. And then she saw these kids who were just so happy and, you know, drawing pictures for her and, you know, giving her a little piece of candy, you know. Um, and she realized that, wow, it doesn't take a lot of material things and beautiful schools and nice neighborhoods to be happy, to, you know, to share that joy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, opportunity. That's, that's huge for them. And that's why, you know, we are very blessed in this country. We have lots of opportunities. So what's probably the greatest lesson that you've learned in teaching? Um, how, you know, for me, I'm from a small farm town in southern Minnesota. I graduated with 27 kids. Everybody was pretty much just like me, about the same social class. We all kind of looked alike, you know. Um, there wasn't much diversity or diversity in how we looked, how we dressed, how we lived, our, how we thought. And for me, studying Spanish really opened the doors to a whole new world. Um, and by studying Spanish, it really changed me, it gave me more input from the world. I was able to now see things from different points of view, understand um, others' situations and why they might think the way they do. Just really opened my mind, you know? Um, and that's what I want, um, you know, is my passion as a teacher, is to really help open the minds of the students so that they, can see and appreciate things from other point of view, you know, that whole interculturality mm -hmm. aspect, right? It's not just about learning a language, it's about learning the cultures related to the language and how can we communicate together and um, share ideas and make this world a better place for everybody. But that's a key to what you were saying earlier, what you want for all children is to be happy. Mm -hmm. And education is, you know, a key to open that door, that opportunity. And when you can look at the rest of the world and other people who are different from you, speak other languages uh, that, that you don't speak, have different behaviors or traditions or, you know, the, those products, practices and perspectives, and still their minds are open thanks to a teacher like you that's how that they're on the path to happiness mm -hmm. because if they are not open and willing to learn and have all those and take a risk to have those experiences because they're living in fear, 
there, you can't find happiness through that. You really can't. And um, so, so that's, it's a, it's a big, it's a big task, especially language teachers being a language teacher, you know, but um, trying what to I, was offer- just, I was just going to say the same thing, you know, every content area is important for a different reason, but I think being a language teacher, we have such a responsibility to teach that interculturality piece to really help um, our students understand other perspectives so that um, we can come together and, you know, live in a, in a good world. Yeah. Well, look at what language teachers can bring to the table of what is a lot of about PD these days in conferences when they're not even language conferences. I'm talking about any kind of educational conference. You know, some of the buzzwords are cultural diversity, mm-hmm. you know, cultural and linguistic diversity, um, you know, just inclusion and, you know, being open to differences and being accepting and being um and and bringing everybody to the table Mm -hmm. and treating everyone the same but different you know and and because you see the differences and you accept all the differences and you allow all of that so yeah, language teachers have, they, all the other curriculum areas could learn a lot from language teachers, but we can connect to other content areas too and um, make that meaningful uh, connection for them with their students and everything. So, so anything else you want to say about teaching or advice you want to give or something you want people to know about teaching or your teaching career? Um, I think, you know, like I said, being a teacher takes a lot of passion. I think we've used that word a few times already in this podcast, but I think, uh, being a teacher is about being passionate for not just what you're teaching, but who you're teaching and why you're teaching. Um, and sometimes that passion is overpowering. We need to make sure that we're persistent in our endeavors of trying to, Um, communicate why we're doing what we're doing and why we think it's important. Um, It's easy to get shot down sometimes um, to have people put out your flame. And, but we just need to keep going. We need to be, like I said, persistent in um, our passion for what we're doing and just really keep, um, keep learning, keep trying to promote what we know is right um, for our kids um, what's, you know, the best approach to getting them to the end goal of our units and our lessons and why we're doing that. Just always keeping, keeping that in mind, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. speaking up and um, doing what we know is right for the kids and everything. So, um, all right. So you're ready for the short answer, fill in the blank, rapid sure. fire. Well, <laughs> Okay, here we go. Teaching is tiring yet exhilarating. Yeah, I opposing forces that that, <laughs> that, that fuels that passion. <laughs> what I would change about teaching to make it better would be providing teachers the resources they need to teach um their kids in the way they see best 
boy, don't teachers spend a lot of money out of their own pocket to get those resources. When I, when I left the classroom, I um, took all my teaching supplies and we have a garage sale at our state world language conference every year. And I sold everything I had in my classroom. That was pretty much everything I bought. I mean, the school didn't really provide much, even though I was in a very good school. Um, and I think I made almost like $2,000. Wow. And my husband, I was all excited. And my husband was like, um, how much do you think you spent to buy all that stuff? <laughs> I was like, yeah, good point. Good point. A lot yeah. more than $2,000. Yeah, yeah. No, my daughter, my husband was helping her with her taxes. And he said, so classroom supplies and everything, you know, how much have you spent on, on books? Because she does Awareness Wednesday every Wednesday with reading books to raise awareness about diversity and Black Lives Matters and LGBTQ plus, you know, communities and stuff. So those books are expensive, you know, especially picture books, nice, pretty ones in, in elementary school. And I mean, we're talking a couple thousand dollars yeah or more and it's yeah. like wow teachers only get a 250 dollar deductible on their taxes 250 that's like an ink cartridge for your printer because you have to print at home because you don't want to stand at the copying machine or you've used all your clicks at school <laughs> all the of the teacher. Yeah. Yes. yes and i mean all the sales like going and you know notebooks are a nickel you know spiral brown notebooks are a nickel mom can you buy some sister can you buy some you know because there's a limit of only 10 and yeah you stock them up in your classroom but in the pandemic my daughter had kids coming back face to face that didn't have school supplies and then they didn't have them at home either and she was like putting them up in the office and telling the parents to come by and get supplies mm -hmm. so that she could do activities with the kids, you know, mm -hmm. even like keeping a math notebook or yeah, just little things like that. It's, it means a lot. So what I want legislators to know about teaching is that they deserve more respect than they get and definitely more pay than they get. <laughs> um, the teachers do the job because they are passionate, but they also have bills to pay and families to raise and need to live um, and they should be compensated accordingly. Mm -hmm. And respected, there's a lot to that respect and it shouldn't just be during Teacher Appreciation Week. Know, yeah. More than a couple. Right. Yeah. Yes. All right. So, thank you so much. This was great. And, um, Thanks for having me, Linda. You are very welcome. <laughs> <laughs>